0: Well, oh good, good morning, and happy Resurrection Sunday. I'm uh, so thankful for uh, the reality of, of the reason uh, that we are together today, um, and uh, my plan for this morning is to just go through Matthew chapter 26, 27, 28. Um, we will stop, we'll read some verses, I'll give narrative throughout the way, we're going to just... Look at the details leading up to the crucifixion. We're going to look at the crucifixion. We're going to look at the resurrection, and then um, at the end, I want to point out the fact that the story of Easter, the story of the resurrection, is so much more than just a great story. Um, It's a reality that has implications on every single individual's life. Uh, Such a wonderful story. Such. um, I'm just so thankful for it for the reality of Easter Um, let's go ahead and uh, and go to the Lord in prayer and then uh, we'll get into our study dear Heavenly Father I thank you so much that we can be here today that that we do have a reason to be here that we do have hope um, that what we trust in is is not in vain because you did raise from the dead Uh, your son died on the cross, but he didn't stay that way. He rose again three days later, just as was promised. And I thank you for all that was accomplished through that. I uh, pray that you'll help our perspective today and, and our view of you to be elevated, that we will just be filled with, with thankfulness and hope and encouraged. Thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, what, I, what I want us to think about is, Without the resurrection, we have no hope and we have no life. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So if the resurrection wasn't a reality, if it didn't happen, uh, we are wasting our time here today. Every Easter is a waste of time without that reality. Uh, So much more to it than that, but I'm so thankful for the fact that Christ is risen. That we have hope, that we have life, and that our faith is not in vain. Uh, Starting in Matthew chapter 26, uh, let's look at verse 2, we'll read that together. Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So Jesus is here with his disciples. He's talking to his disciples and he tells his disciples, "The Passover is coming, then I will be betrayed and I will be crucified." I wonder how his disciples felt at this point. If they kind of blew that off or if they if they stopped and thought about it that our leader is going to be crucified. He's going to be executed. Jesus has talked about it up to this point, but it seems to be that they had a hard time grasping that reality or just being able to take hold of it. Because when Jesus is captured, uh, we find one of his disciples chopping off the guy's ear that's trying to take him away. But Jesus said it was going to happen. It, 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 was, it was happening, but it's like the disciples didn't want to grasp it, or they were, as you could imagine, following Christ that closely. You wouldn't want him to be taken away or crucified. But we know it was necessary in in the plan of redemption that his father had. So what we have going on, he tells his disciples, then verses 3, 4, 5, we have the leadership of Israel getting together with the high priest Caiaphas, and they make a plan to subtly capture and kill Jesus. So this chain of events continues on, it's rolling on. The leadership of Israel hated Jesus. They couldn't take it anymore. They conspire to kill Him. They conspire to kill the Messiah. They conspire to kill God in the flesh. Pause and think about that. And and we know in our regular series that we've been going through, we've been following the, the life of Christ, and we've been seeing Him ministering, we've been seeing Him present truths to people, and we find the Pharisees and the scribes there, and they don't want the people to believe in Jesus they try to discredit Jesus, and they've just, they're just fed up with it. So we get to this point, and they come up with this plan where they're going to execute Jesus. Think of in the background, though, Jesus knows exactly what is going on. He knows that there's this conspiracy behind his back with the leaders of his, of his people. He knows this is going on. He knows he's going to be executed. Yet Jesus continues with the plan. He stays faithful to the plan that his father had set in motion for him. And he continues to be obedient knowing there was these people that would reject him and that would try to kill him. Look at verses 6-13. through 13. We'll read those of Matthew 26. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? Think about that for a second, just unfolding. Someone giving a gift to Jesus, pouring this this, precious, expensive ointment on his head, and his disciples are filled with indignation. What is this waste? What What is this woman doing? Remember, Jesus had just told them he's going to be crucified. So at least in my mind, there is emotions might be a little higher. Like there might be a little more concern thinking these are my last days with Jesus. And then this this woman anoints his head and his disciples' response is, what's this big waste about? Um, For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them. So he knows their thoughts. He knows the conversation that they're having. Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon Me. For ye have the poor always with you, but Me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on My body, she did it for My burial. So again, Jesus alludes to His, his death. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial to her. She did something special. She showed her love and her care for Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't think that's a big deal? You think that's a waste? Okay, from here on out, when you give the gospel, remember this woman with the story of my crucifixion. That was important. That's pretty neat stuff going on there. Then we get down into verses 14 and 15 and we have Jesus or Judas agreeing to betray Jesus, selling Jesus out. Um, Judas, Judas' response as he goes in to betray Jesus, what will you give me to betray Jesus? Seeking a reward, I, I've got somebody you want, I can betray him, what will you give me? And we know it's 30 pieces of silver. They say 30 pieces of silver, he says deal from that moment on, Judas is looking for opportunity to betray Jesus, to betray the Messiah. I mean, he's one of the twelve. He was close with Jesus. He's willing to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Then jump down to verses 17 through 30. And we have the, the Passover meal. We have Jesus meeting with the disciples, and they they get a room uh, where they can meet, where they can they can have this. This meal, and and they're there and they're meeting, and Jesus tells the, the disciples, One of you is going to betray me. And the people, or the disciples became exceedingly sorrowful, it says. And their questions were, We know, is it I? Is it I? Going around asking, looking Jesus in the eyes, Is it I? Is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray you? Verse 24, we have Judas very well knowing he was the one, Is it I? And Jesus says, Thou hast said. Now, if the timeline here is, is what the timeline actually was, Judas already had the silver. You know, he could have been hiding it outside or, you know, hiding in a bag on his waist, looking at Jesus and saying, Is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you, knowing very well it was? And Jesus says, You said it. It is you. But Jesus still continues on with the meal. The meal that we, that we look to now and, and we observe as communion or, or the Lord's Supper with the breaking of the bread and, and the, the, the drinking of the, of the fruit of the vine. And Jesus in this story gives the illustration of the bread representing His body that, that will be broken and then the, the, the fruit of the vine representing His blood. Jesus gives that. Um, they have that, that supper together. They head out to the Mount of Olives. Verse number 30, And when they had sung in hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So verses 31-35, through 35, let's look at those together. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of Me this night. Speaking to His disciples here. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto Him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. So Jesus tells them in advance, It's going to go down, I'm going to be captured, I'm going to be taken away. And you all are going to to run. You're going to be scattered abroad. You're not going to like what's going on here. Then we get in to verse to verse uh, 36. Then come a Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the, the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. So picture this: Jesus walking with his disciples. He tells his disciples to stop and and wait there. He's going to go on and he's going to pray. Then we know he tells three disciples to come with him, Peter, James, and John. So they go a little bit further with Jesus. Jesus sits them down and he tells them to, to, well, he gives them how he's feeling. Verse 38, And saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So think about what had happened. Jesus told them, "Hey, tonight it's going to I'm going to be taken from you. It's going to happen tonight." Then he takes them away, the disciples away, takes three disciples even further and he tells them how he feels. Like, you know, I'm I'm torn up right now. Stuff is going to happen tonight. Will you watch with me? Will you sit here? Will you watch with me? Because my captors are on their way. So he gives them this instruction. Do you think with the relationship that they had with Jesus, do you think His words would carry some weight with them? Like there was warning that He was going to be captured, right? And and He tells them He's sorrowful, He's heavy. He says, watch here. Wait here and watch here. I'm hurting. So He gives them those instructions. Then He goes on and he, He prays. Jesus prays, verse 39. And He went a little farther and fell on His face and betrayed, saying... O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So Jesus in deep prayer with the Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But we know Jesus was always obedient to the Father's will. So what does he say? If this is your will, if this is what needs to happen, knowing that it was his will, that it did need to happen, he said, Let it happen. Then he goes and he finds the disciples, verse 40, and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. What did he ask them to do? To watch, right? Finds them sleeping and saith unto Peter, What? Could he not watch with me one hour? Now he tells them, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Remember Jesus had just told them that tonight that they're going to scatter they're gonna they're gonna run when it gets tough now he tells them to pray like temptation is is coming these difficult times are coming you should be praying he told Peter you're gonna deny me three times and we find Peter sleeping right I'm sure they were tired right I don't want to give them a hard time for that but you would think there would be some, some sincerity here some some motivation you you would think like something bad is about to happen tonight let's be ready and they're Sleeping. Jesus says, you couldn't watch? Well, watch and pray. Temptation is is coming. Verse 42, He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, Thy will be done. And He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And He left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh He to His disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, He is at hand that doth betray Me. So, Jesus lets them sleep, lets them have their nap. Then He wakes them up. Let's go. They're coming to get Me. We get to verses 47-56. through And there is Judas. We find Judas with that famous kiss of betrayal. Right? He comes to Jesus, leads these, these soldiers with swords and with sticks, this multitude of people, to come capture Jesus and to take Him away. He gives them the sign by, by kissing Jesus. They know that it's Jesus. And uh, the soldiers surround Jesus and, and capture Jesus. Uh, verse 50, though, it jumps out to me. I'm sure it does to you. Judas kisses Jesus. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, Wherefore art thou come? Just had gotten that kiss of betrayal and he calls Judas his friend there. He says, why are you come? I wonder if that's the last straw that got to Judas. Because we know Judas couldn't deal with what he had done and he tries to give the silver back and then he goes and he, he hangs himself. But he gives Jesus that kiss of betrayal and then um, Jesus is, is captured by the soldiers Judas was there with a great multitude. Uh, they grabbed Jesus. They take Jesus away. Look at verse 56. But all this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook Him and fled. Just as Jesus had said they would do, they did. The one they had followed so closely throughout His earthly ministry, the one that they had seen do miracles, the one they believed was the Messiah. When it got sticky, when Jesus was captured, when his death was, was coming, where were they to be found? They were hiding. They were scared for themselves. We found find Peter following afar off, which gives him opportunity to deny Christ those three times that we're going to look at here. But we have Jesus being taken away. We have Jesus being taken to the high priest for a trial. Let's look at those verses together. We've got... Plenty of time still. Verse number uh, 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So Peter was curious, but he didn't want to get too close. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death but found none yea though many false witnesses came yet they found yet found they none and the last came two false witnesses and said this fellow said i am able to destroy the temple of god and to build it in 3 days and the high priest arose and said unto him answerest thou nothing what is it which these witnesses which these witness against thee but Jesus held His peace. And the high priest answered and said unto Him, I adjure Thee by the living God that Thou tell us whether Thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, I am. I am the, the Son of God is what Jesus tells him. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter, shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So I'm giving you testimony that I am the Son of God, that that I am Christ, and and you're going to know it because I'm going to be seated at His right hand with power. Well, Caiaphas rejects Jesus. He rejects this claim. He rejects who Jesus is. Look how he responds. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold, now ye have heard this blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. So there they go. They're going to get what they want. They say Jesus is worthy of death. Jesus speaking the truth. Jesus is God. Jesus was God. and Jesus is the Messiah. God in the flesh, humbling Himself, coming down to this earth. Standing before the high priest, the religious leader of the people, the high priest says, that's blasphemy, you are not God. asks the people, what should we do to him? They say, kill him. He's worthy of death for his blasphemy. Jesus has done nothing wrong. Executing to perfection the will of his Father. The people reject him. And their response is, kill him. Then they did spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? So so sad. Rejected him to the point of spitting in his face. Their spitting in his face, their rejection of him didn't change who he was at all. He is still perfect, holy, sinless God. They rejected him, treated him horribly, but he's still, God, he was still worthy of that that, view, that being elevated. But the people rejected him. And then verses 69 through 75, uh, we see what Jesus said coming true. We see Peter denying Christ, denied him that three times. Verse 75, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him. Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. He denied his Savior, his Lord, three times before people who were accusing him. I mean, it was an action of self-preservation, but he still denied his Lord and we, we see how he felt about it. He wept bitterly. And I would imagine we haven't seen or heard crying like that when he realized... What he had done. Then we get into chapter 27. The the council um, decides that they're going to put Jesus to death. Verse 1 of chapter 27. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. So their recommendation to Pilate is put him to death. We want him dead. He is guilty of blaspheming God. Look at uh, verse number 2. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Verses 3-10, through this is where we find Judas going and trying to return the silver. And you know them saying, what do you want us to do with it? Uh, It's it's the price of blood. And Judas goes out and and he hangs himself. And they end up buying a a field uh, to bury people in with the price of Jesus' betrayal. Verse 11, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Can you picture this? The Messiah, God in the flesh, standing before this this governor, before Pilate. And Pilate accusing him, making accusations, re- repeating what has been accused of him already. And Jesus doesn't stand up and defend himself. He takes these accus- accusations. And then he says, you know, Thou hast said, I, I am who they, they say I am. I am God in the flesh. And Pilate, or Pilate continues to talk to Jesus. Jesus still doesn't answer. So much so... That Pilate is amazed at the way Jesus stands there and takes the accusations. It made him. That's not what he was used to. Usually, you find people. I didn't do it. I'm not guilty. The ones that are actually guilty. I didn't do a thing. And here's why I didn't. But we have the perfect one standing before this man being accused, saying not a word except I'm guilty of what they say I am. I am God. I am Jesus. I am the Messiah. And the people don't, don't like the way that it's going. They're building with, with anger. And, and Pilate's wife talks to him and says, you know, don't wash your hands of this. I, I've had a bad dream. This is going to go real bad. He's innocent. Wash your hands of this. So then we have the interaction of Pilate with the people where they would usually let a prisoner go at this time. And he had Barabbas, a, a famous, horrible, horrible, Prisoner. He says, You want Barabbas to go free, or you want Jesus? The people cry for Barabbas to go free. What does he what do they want to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. When Pilate washes his hands, what's their response? His blood be on us and our children. Wow. The Lamb of God. They're willing. To say his blood be upon us and our children. Perfect, sinless. God. Their response, free Barabbas, crucified Jesus. So Jesus is to be crucified. Look at verses 26-31. through 31. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And that word scourged, don't just look over it. Because it was a beating, it was a whipping, it was body mangling painful painful process so they whipped Jesus and they turned him over to be crucified then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers so the soldiers get together they get all their friends together they stripped Jesus and put on him a scarlet robe and when they had plaited a crown of thorns they put it upon his head and a reed in his hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Can you see the mockery there? What kind of king are you that we're able to beat you? We're able to mash a crown of thorns into your head, that we're able to put this this robe on you and, and mock you. What kind of king are you? Well, he's the king of all kings. But he humbled himself and he became obedient to the death, even the cursed death of the cross and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him in the head and after they had mocked him they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him so they put Jesus through this horrible torturous situation they mock him and then they lead him away to be crucified Let's read verse 32 through 43. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures did they cast lot. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking Him and the scribes and the elders said, He saved others, Himself He cannot save. If He be the King of Israel, let Him now come down from that cross and we will believe Him. I'm so glad he didn't come off the cross. He trusted in God. Let him deliver now. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, "I am the Son of God." Do you see the wording there? Still in complete denial of who Jesus was, they said, "Let God save him, if God would still have him," because of the accusa- or because of the claims that Jesus made. The claims Jesus made were absolutely true. God is not ashamed of His Son. He's glorified by His Son. His Son is hanging on that cross, bearing the sins (laughs) of the world, making that propitiatory sacrifice sin the only sacrifice that could satisfy that could cover that could pay for our sins for the sins of the world Jesus is hanging there paying for and the response of the onlookers is rejection is mocking is spitting is beating is still doubt they're calling for Jesus to come down if he is God but Jesus stayed there has God taking a payment that only he could pay for. Then we get to verses forty five through fifty six and we see some of the the details with, with Jesus on the cross. The sixth hour there was darkness over all the land into the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sins of the world being placed on Him. Him bearing that burden of sins. Hanging there. Suffering. Bleeding. Some of them that stood there When they heard that, said this man called for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Amen. Oh, he was who he said he was. And here's a whole bunch of evidences in his death. And many women were there beholding afar off which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto Him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. So we have the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus has died. Now, verse 62. Now the next day... Well, let's go back up to verse 57. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. So we have a a man who had been following Jesus, who had believed in Jesus, who he was, who he said he was, and he was a disciple, not one of the apostles, but we have him a, a disciple of Jesus. He goes to Pilate, and he begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. That's pretty neat there with Joseph caring for Jesus and loving Jesus this much. That he would take, take his body, that he would wrap it, that he would prepare it, that he would be willing to place it in his own tomb that was his. And just to think about the details of, of making a tomb with a hammer and a chisel, I mean, it's it's not, you know, something cheap that everybody has laying around somewhere. This was an investment that this man gave. But what a privilege to have Jesus be buried in his tomb. And there was um Where we have verse number 60, "...and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door in the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher." So, Jesus has died. He is now buried in the tomb. But some people are are nervous about this situation. Verse number 62, "...now the next day that followed..." The day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, still calling Jesus a deceiver, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. So here's their advice. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way. Make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So you see what's going on? They're nervous. The disciples are just going to come take him. that They'll say, oh, he's risen, he's alive. And then their first error of crucifying will be worse than the second because it looks like he came back to life. So he says, take all the resources you need Make sure that it's sealed. Do the best you can. Make sure nobody is going to come take him away. Well, they can't stop God from raising from the dead. They can't thwart his plan, no matter how many soldiers they would use. Verse 38, or sorry, chapter 28, verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. I would have liked to see that. (laughs) The angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen as He said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see Him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring His disciples word. And as they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came unto the city and showed unto the chief priests all things that were done. So They said, "Uh uh-oh, we lost him. He got away. They go tell the story, they give the story to the chief priest. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, so they have this big meeting because they made a big mistake that was going to be worse than the first mistake that they made. So they call this emergency meeting. And what did they do? They gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye his disciples came by night and stole him away while while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So normally if you lost a, shoulder, a soldier, you were killed. You were executed for not doing your job. Well, they're scared to death. They go try to save, you know, they don't want to die. They end up getting rewarded, getting paid off to lie. Because Jesus had risen. Jesus was alive and well. He had conquered death. So they tried to sweep this under the rug and hide it. Instead of being killed, they were given reward money, if you will, for continuing to lie. So we find Jesus is risen. We see the story of Jesus conquering death. Jesus more powerful than death. The grave could not hold Him. Death could not conquer Him. He was victorious. Raising again, back to life. What an amazing story. But I said what I want us to think about is it's more than a great story. It's a historical event that has a personal impact on every single person in this room. And what do I mean by that? What does the crucifixion, what does the resurrection have to do with us today, way down the road? Well, see, every single person has a problem of sin. And that sin leaves us at enmity with, with God. There's separation between us and God because of that sin. God is holy. God is perfect. God is just. And God is righteous. And because we're, we're sinners, that creates a, a problem in our relationship with Him. So He made a way for forgiveness so He could still be just, yet offer us forgiveness. He could still be righteous and offer us forgiveness. And that, that way, that, that gift of, of love that He offered to us was His Son, Jesus Christ, coming down to this earth, leaving heaven's glory, coming to this earth, living a perfect life, perfect obedience to His Father the whole time. We see Him eventually dying, shedding His blood, the only sacrifice that could satisfy God's just demands. Amen. The only way that God could still forgive us and still be just was a sacrifice had to be made. A legal transaction had to take place. And Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. And he died, shed his blood, came back to life, offering a way for us to be justified, for us to be declared right before God. And he offers this gift of salvation to us. Will, will you believe in Jesus Christ? Will you recognize that you have a, a, a sin problem, a sin problem that, that separates? Will you re- repent of that and, and trust in Him to cover your sin, to, to give you life, to make you alive? You see, we look at this Easter story and it, it has personal application to each and every one of us. Because Jesus made a way for us to be declared righteous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's personal. God's gift of salvation is, is personal. personal. And um, I, I know some of you know, knew my dad. You've heard me talk of my dad. Some of you, he's a complete stranger to, um, he passed away from cancer a couple of years ago, but um, in, in his journal, there's this entry, and, and I just want to share it with you because I want you to see the personal application in the story of Easter, uh, to see God caring about every single one of us in this room personally. It's from April 13th, 2013. This is my dad writing here. Today we woke at 3 a.m., shuttled to DIA, flew from Denver to Phoenix, from Phoenix to El Paso, flew first over the vast mountain ranges. And I thought of the expanse of God's creation. How small and finite I am, and yet the Lord has chosen to reach down and touch me with cancer. See, my dad, just previous to writing this, had found out he had cancer, and he was headed to Mexico for treatment. So he, he sees this, this cancer as God having an involvement in his life and a plan for his life specifically. What an incredible view to to find a way to glorify God even in cancer. But he said how how small and finite I am and yet the Lord has chosen to reach down and touch me with cancer. Yes, but even more amazingly with salvation. Yes, He, Jesus Christ, sacrificed for me this little tiny speck in the vastness of His universe. And He writes, Time now for sleep. Praise You, Lord. Amen. The, the story of Easter, this powerful story of redemption, is so much greater than just a story. It has personal ramification for every single person. And I just wonder, have you made that story personal? I mean, God drawing you to Himself is the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Have you surrendered to Him, acknowledged Him as the only way for salvation? See, the story of Easter is personal. And it's so much more than a great story. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. We have hope and we have life through His Son, Jesus Christ, through His resurrection. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank You so much that we can celebrate the resurrection of Your Son today and the wonderful gift that You gave, that You proved Your love, that You showed Your love, and You have offered us this gift of salvation. I pray that You'll work in hearts and lives today. I pray that um, if there's anyone in here who has not trusted in You, that today will be the day of salvation i pray for those of us who have trusted in you father that we will praise you that we will live every single day with the reality of your resurrection thank you so much for all that you are in jesus name i pray amen